1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 through 28. The title of the message tonight is Benediction, because this is Paul's benediction that he puts on the end of his letter. Um, he says, in verse 23, he says, Now may the God, and he goes on. This is like the prayer that I muddle through at the end of our services. Um, this is him pronouncing a blessing, if you will, upon this church in First Thessalonians. So he says, this is my prayer for you. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. First he says, may the God of peace... Now, that's interesting because the Thessalonians, if you've been with us for a while, you know that they had not known outward peace ever since the day they became a church. They were conceived in persecution and were undergoing persecution as they received this letter. They had no outward peace at all. How many cards have you gotten, Christmas cards that say peace on earth, right? And for a lot of folks, not for, not for everybody, but for a lot of folks, that means that's their Christmas wishes. They, they want uh, peace among nations on the earth. They're talking about a, a political peace, uh, if you will, an absence of violence. We would all love that. But since Cain and Abel, there's never been peace on earth in that sense. But there was. There was a time, though, when peace roamed the earth. Right? Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. Not political peace, not a social peace. But in John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. What kind of peace does the world give? Peace give, the, the, that the world gives is temporary, and it's circumstantial. It depends upon treaties, which depend upon man's promises. Peace in the world is about the absence of conflict or stress. Well, what's the peace that Jesus gives? The peace that Jesus gives is not dependent upon circumstances. It's not dependent upon other men. It can be, this is what's crazy, it can be present even in the midst of a war. His peace can be present in the midst of conflict. His peace can be present in the midst of busyness. That's why the Bible says that this peace that Jesus gives passes our understanding. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says that he gives this peace that passes understanding. Here's your first application right out of the box. Are you guys stressed out? Are you longing for some peace and quiet? All you moms are like, oh yeah. Here's one. Are you desperately trying to arrange your schedule so that you can get some peace? You're just trying to arrange things so that you can get peace. If, if you have to do something like that to get peace, then it stands to reason that, that that's not the peace that Jesus gives. Because the, the peace that Jesus gives is, can be in the midst of great busyness, great turmoil. Now, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to us, right? But I believe the Bible says that we can have this peace that Jesus gives, and we can have it tonight. 
Not one thing in our circumstances have to change for us to have this peace that passes understanding. We've visited this verse many times, and I'm sure we will many more times. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, he says, and my burden is light. It says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify, what does that mean? We've seen that several times. It means to be set apart, to be set aside for a, a particular, a glorious purpose. We've used this before. The good china, your good china at home is sanctified, right? It's it's holy, right? You only use it for special occasions. It's, it's a special thing. Um, paper plates are common. China is sanctified. You could say it this way. A, a summer dress is common. But a wedding dress is sanctified. It's special. It's set aside. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you aside for something glorious, sanctify you completely. The word completely there is holotelis. And it means complete, and it's a, it's a superlative word, and it means till the end, thoroughly complete. This, I can't help but think that this makes me think of the Maxwell House commercials, good to the last drop, right? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you to the very end, to the last drop. And who is it that does the sanctifying? Says God himself. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. How cool is that? God does it. He does the sanctifying. It's not us working real hard to clean ourselves up. It says here that God is the one who sanctifies. He's the one who washes. But our part is just to let him do it. Look back with me at verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One page back maybe. Chapter 4 verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. But here it says that God will do the sanctifying. See, this is a pretty sweet deal. His will is that you be set aside for a glorious purpose, and he's the one who does it. Now, obviously, we do play a part. It says abstain from sexual immorality. But if you're like me, you've, you've discovered when you try to abstain from sin by saying, don't do that, I don't do that, I won't do that, you never have success because your focus is on the sin. See, here Paul lets us in on a secret to abstaining from sin. It's not you working real hard to avoid that sin so that you can be at peace with God. No, it's the God of peace himself Wanting to sanctify you. That's what he wants to do. Look at verse 23 again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How neat is this? Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. Who also will do it. God called you to be sanctified. And it says he also will do it. 
I have a picture in my head of, of God doing the washing, right? Washing my hands, if you will. And it, it translated for me a picture of, of my boy. If I, if I want to wash Isaac's hands, I'm the one who will do, be doing the washing. But his part is to let me do it, not to run away and jump in the mud. If he's running from me, I can't wash him. And on the other hand, if I'm washing him, <laughs> I've got him locked in. He can't run from me and go get in the mud. Do you get it? God's will is that we be sanctified, and he does the, the vast majority of the work. All we need to do is submit to him, surrender. Okay, here we go again, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit, soul, and body. Three parts to man, if you will. There's debate because you see, you see this um, divided differently in different books, uh, different places. Some, some places will just mention the, the, the spirit and the body. Um, but for, for our purposes here, it says three, three parts, right? And I think this is probably the best way to define these things. The, the soul is the conscious you. The one who's listening to me right now, the, the, the intellect, the soul is the conscious you. It's the part that continues, the Bible says, when you die. And we learned recently in Thessalonians that your body, your physical body, is just the outer shell. Right? It's just like your spacesuit. It's the thing that you interact, your soul interacts with the physical world around you. And on the other hand, your spirit is that part of you that interacts with the spiritual world. And the Bible says we are born dead. We are stillborn when it comes to this spirit. Spiritually, we are stillborn. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. He was speaking to Nicodemus, and they had that funny discussion, right? Nicodemus was like, what do you mean? Am I supposed to go back up inside my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, no, I'm talking about spirit. He says, you must be born again. Paul's benediction here is, reads this way in Doug's translation. It's my prayer that the Lord keep your spirit and your soul and your body blameless until the day that Jesus comes back. One more time. Let's read it again. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word preserved is terios. It means to attend to carefully. It means to take care of, to guard. Paul says, may God not only sanctify you, but may your whole spirit, soul, and body be carefully attended, guarded, protected. Now, spirit, soul, and body. I think that the order of the words is revealing and instructing. If we've been born again, this should be the, our priority list. Spirit, soul, and body. Most of the time, we live first for our body. And then second for our soul. And the spirit gets the leftovers. Right? We, we, we make sure that our bodies are fed every day. Pretty much. I mean, I do. You can tell. 
we protect our bodies, and we feed our souls, our intellect, if you will, we feed our souls, good or bad, every day. When you read the paper, when you read a magazine, when you watch something on TV or, or go on the Internet, you are feeding your soul. But too often we give the spirit our leftovers. Right? If, well, I didn't have time to read today. I didn't have time to pray today. The spirit, it says here, is first on God's list and should come first on our list as well. But here's the good news. Even if we don't have our priorities right, God does. Look at verse 24. He says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Man, aren't you thankful that your blamelessness doesn't depend upon you, but depends upon Him? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 is a wonderful verse. It says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It's in his nature to get his job done. Philippians 1.6, right, says that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. If my righteousness before him was dependent upon me, I would be in really bad shape. But he is so faithful even when I am faithless. Verse 25. It's another pretty short verse. If you're looking for memory verses, here's another one. Verse 25. Brethren... Pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. Paul asks for prayer from the Thessalonians. Found this little tidbit. This is, was in Reader's Digest. Uh, Gene McMahon writes this. Attending church in Kentucky, we watched an especially verbal and boisterous child being hurried out, slung under his irate father's arm. No one in the congregation so much as raised an eyebrow until the child captured everyone's attention by crying out in a charming southern accent, you all pray for me now. (laughs) He was in trouble and he wanted prayer. Paul here is not in trouble, but he's wisely, wisely asking for prayer before he ever gets in trouble. Now, you guys can't fulfill this verse by praying for Paul. He doesn't need prayer. He's in heaven, right? So who could you pray for? Hey, you could pray for me. I'll take that. I'll take that prayer. Paul knew what every Christian leader in, in any capacity, he knew what every Christian leader knows. And that is to lead as a Christian. Well, it's impossible. It's impossible because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, right, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I don't know what you guys think. In some cases, I probably don't want to know what you think of the leadership of the church. But I can tell you this. If you want excellent leadership in your church or if you want excellent leadership in your home or in your government, if you want excellent leadership in any of these areas, pray for those people. Pray for them. Pray for me. Please. Please pray for me. Um, Some of you have already heard me reference Charles Spurgeon and this encounter that uh, these guys had with him many, many years ago. I'll read it to you, though. Five young college students were spending a Sunday in London. So they went to hear the famous C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, preach. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, 
Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? They were not particularly interested in that, for it was a hot day in July. But they didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway. A door was quietly opened. And there the guide whispered, this is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer. They were seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That, I've heard that story probably three times. I've probably told it two or three times already. It's a perfect illustration of how a church can actually make an impact. It's through prayer. I don't even have notes here because I just all I had to write down for this next part was last Sunday to, to remind me what I was going to tell you guys about prayer. Um, and some of you guys know. It's been on my heart for a while to have a time of prayer for the, the service on Sunday. And um, the worship team gets there about 8.15 and, and sometimes later. But we try to get there at 8.15. And our goal is to uh, pray from 8.20 till 8.30 just for the service and for whatever God wants to do. Uh, during that, that time. But what's really been on my heart is that there would be people that would come at 8.15 and pray with us and then continue praying from 8.30 to 9 to just pray like, like Spurgeon's church. And um, last Sunday was the first time that we were able to kind of do that. Um, Kathy Hoare, who's not here tonight, she won't be able to be here for the next couple of weeks, so there's an opening. But she came and prayed with us and then we continued on with worship and i said kathy just just go in the in the hallway and pray for the service and if you see somebody coming to to serve um in the children's ministry pray for them or if they've got time pray with them and she just spent that whole time praying i don't know if you guys were there on sunday but for me this last sunday was the most amazing sunday we've had in a long time it was for me it was from beginning to end i felt the spirit was speaking and I had confidence that he was going to do what he wanted to do. Um, this is, again, this is, these aren't notes, so I don't know if I'm saying too much. But um, sometimes I can bother Lisa by, by pestering her and saying, hey, how did the message go? Did the message go okay? Kind of thing. This week didn't happen. Sunday I'm like, <laughs> matter of fact, a couple people even said, um, hey, the message went really well. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it did. But it was like I was surprised. It wasn't like, wow, I'm so great. It was like, it was amazing from beginning to end, the Lord was there. And I just thoroughly convinced that it's prayer. And we didn't have 700 people. We only had four people, and then it went down to one person for half an hour. But it was an amazing impact. And I'm going to put this on, on our application. Maybe some of you want to show up on Sunday early. There'll be food, okay? You can eat and pray at the same time. You don't have to keep your mouth running the whole time, right? Anyway, I was just blessed, and I hope you guys um, were blessed too. All right, verse 26. It says, Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And all the single guys in every church have this one memorized, right? But notice it says, a holy kiss. See, that, that was the customary greeting in that culture, right? Two friends would meet on the road, and they would stop, they would embrace, they would kiss each other on one or both cheeks. Sometimes when I'm away from town, I'll, I'll call Lisa and I'll say, you know, as, as we're hanging up, I'll say, hey, kiss the boys for me. 
Um, got an email yesterday even from my sister. This just wrote her very last thing was, uh, kiss the boys for me. Right? We, we, we relate to that. This is what Paul's saying here. He's saying, show them some affection in my name. Paul is saying, look, kiss the kids of God for me. Now, again, we understand in our society, kissing probably isn't, doesn't mean the same thing as it as does them. You, you kiss certain people just because they're uh, Christian, they might slap you, you know. Um, but this is, for us, this is the equivalent of a handshake of a, or of a godly hug. And I got to think we probably should talk about godly hugging too. Um, just a word on hugging. Guys, especially, don't let your hugging be considered or misconstrued as unholy. Does that make sense? Um, I recommend the A-frame hug. You know what I mean? Or the side-by-side the side side hug is really good. Okay? Um, it's, with, these are to be godly greetings. Right? Um, and Paul says, basically, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. All right. Verse 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. See, Paul wanted to make sure that his words would not be misunderstood. He didn't want them misunderstood, maligned, mediated in any way. He didn't want people to say, well, yeah, you don't need to read the letter. Um, I'll just give you the, the clip notes on it. Paul wanted to make sure that everyone had exposure to this letter. And this is a good reminder. Maybe again, maybe you think that Bible reading is just for the, the leaders, just for the pastor to do um, on a daily basis. No, this is important for everyone to know the word of God. If you haven't found out by now, it's absolutely necessary for everyone. Remember when Jesus hadn't had food for 40 days? And that the, Satan came to tempt him, said, hey, if, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, no, it is not by bread alone that man lives, but it's by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You get it? This goes back to the soul, spirit, soul, and body. The, the tempter said, look, fulfill your body and show that you're the son of God in the same time. And Jesus said, no. I would rather starve than disobey the word of God. Our king would rather physically starve than spiritually starve. This is a call for us to value the word the same way that our king does, or even a tenth of the way that our king does. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Scoot back with me. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. See if you see a word that is in both verses, first and last. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. There it is, beginning and end, first verse and last verse, Paul is always talking about grace. Right? This book, like our spiritual lives, it starts and ends with grace. The only reason that I know God is because of his grace. And the only way, the, the, the hymn says it, right? It's grace that brought me this far, and grace will lead me home. God's unmerited favor. From beginning to end, your life, my life, our life here and our life in heaven, all of it is because of his grace. This 
unearned, unimaginable love that he has for you.